From high atop Rocky Road in Moab, Utah, it's KZMU News. I'm Emily Arnson. This is your news for Thursday, November 9th. Yesterday, the Forest Service held a public meeting to discuss the draft of its new management plan for the Manti LaSalle National Forest. The current plan is up for renewal, and the agency has been working on a draft of this new proposal for over six years. Andrew Orleman, a public service staff officer with the Forest Service, says one of the main changes in the plan now gives formal permission for tribal use of national forest areas. The new guideline reads, To ensure nations, tribes, and pueblos and their representatives can conduct ceremonial activities in private, temporary area closures should be granted if requested. That would mean that we could write a closure order signed by our forest supervisor to allow them to have a ceremony at a specific location and close it to the rest of the, you know, to the public. And I'm not saying that we couldn't do that now, you know, under our current rules, but this just makes it explicit. You know, in our original 1986 plan, we didn't mention anything about tribal uh, perspectives or tribal uses on the forest. So uh, we've added quite a bit to our our proposed revision. Another noteworthy change in the draft is a more proactive approach to wilderness and special management areas. The Forest Service doesn't designate wilderness. That's done by Congress. But the Forest Service does evaluate their land for wilderness characteristics, which can be used to make future laws about what activities are and aren't allowed in those locations. We just do the evaluation of, you know, characteristics. The key term from the Wilderness Act is that the landscape is, I mean, honestly, this is offensive to indigenous people, but but the landscape appears untrammeled by man. That was like the key language from the Wilderness Act. The public comment period for this draft ends on November 16th. Some have criticized the draft, saying that the alternatives up for consideration aren't clearly stated in the 200-page draft proposal. Tim Peterson of the Grand Canyon Trust wrote in an article published last week that the plan is, quote, so scattered and obtuse that it's incomprehensible. He also notes that in order to compare the proposed alternatives with the original, you have to navigate multiple separate documents. Mary O'Brien, executive director of the conservation group Project 1100, is also frustrated with the way the Forest Service is handling alternatives for this plan. Years ago, she proposed alternatives for the Manti LaSalle plan and was denied. One of these suggestions called for reducing the amount of forage cattle and sheep are allowed to graze. What has been the standard for years is 50 to 60 percent utilization by weight of whatever grows in any season can be taken by cattle and sheep. Well, we proposed only 30 percent could be taken. That's considered conservative or light grazing. And they didn't put that as an option. But there's another forest, Grand Mesa, Uncompahgre, and Gunnison National Forest that just put out their final EIS. They're further along on their forest plan revision. And they adopted 30% utilization in riparian areas. The Manti Cell won't even put it in as an option to be for people to weigh in on. Her proposal also suggested that mining and extraction should be prohibited in the Manti LaSalle Forest Unit near Moab. We propose that the forest should ask for no mining in the Moab geographic area, which is the sole source aquifer of drinking water. And we propose that they ask for no mining in that. And they didn't. They don't have to adopt it. All they have to do is put it as an option in the draft EIS. Lastly, her proposal also called for the removal of the mountain goat herd in the LaSalle's. 
The herd was transplanted there by the state 10 years ago for people to hunt and has been a contentious issue in Moab ever since. The herd is now about 100 goats strong, and conservationists like O'Brien are worried about the havoc that these non-native animals are wrecking on the delicate alpine ecosystem. They tear out the plants to make a a dust wallow. They've got to eat their big animals. They're there year-round. You know, when you have a drought year, you can't get rid of them, right? Mantisau did a five-year study And it shows that forb cover, you know, not grasses, but wildflowers, basically, that forb cover is declining. And that one of the sensitive plant species they've been studying, they've been studying four of them, one of them is declining, and it's declining where mountain goats use the area and recreationists don't. So it's due to the goats. And they published that study in a regular scientific journal. And in that research article, they point to all these other places where they're removing the goats because the, the, the damage is clear. The herd roams between state and National Forest Service land in the LaSalle Mountains, but the Forest Service says the animals aren't their responsibility. The state of Utah manages wildlife populations. We manage the habitat, they manage the population. Right. So what you'll see in our plan is, you know, um, objectives, um, standards and guidelines for managing habitat, wildlife habitat. The Division of Wildlife Resources and the Forest Service have gone back and forth for years about how to manage the goats and whose responsibility they are. Last year, the agency's joint effort collapsed when they couldn't agree on how to analyze the five years of data they'd collected about the effect of the herd on native plants. Each agency is now doing its own research on whether the goats are destroying the high alpine ecosystem. O'Brien believes the Forest Service should be responsible for removing the herd. She says the precedent for this was set in a Supreme Court case from the 1920s. Actually, court cases show that the feds are ultimately in charge of wildlife. And in fact, when we went to court over the goats issue years ago, we lost and lost on appeal. And in the appeal court, the reason we lost is they said, well, the Forest Service hasn't made a decision yet. But they stated in that 10th Circuit Court of Appeals, lest the forest become too comfortable, the law is clear out of a Supreme Court case many years ago that you can make the decisions about the goats. The state wants to claim they're in charge, and in fact, they aren't. And that came out of a Supreme Court decision back in the 20s when there were too many deer on the north rim of the Grand Canyon. And the Supreme Court ruled that, in fact, the feds are in charge of wildlife on federal lands, and that basically the Forest Service could take out as many deer as they needed to. The Forest Service takes a similar stance to the topic of mining as it does to the mountain goats, saying that's the responsibility of another government agency. The Forest Service says that even when mining occurs within national forest boundaries, everything that happens underneath the surface of the ground is handled by the Bureau of Land Management. You know, the Forest Service does not control subsurface rights. The BLM does. And so the BLM may permit use of subsurface minerals. You know, that's kind of up to them. You know, our role is basically to try to manage the surface 
estate and the impacts of the surface. We do have mining on the forest. We have, you know, active mines on the forest and we'll continue to do so under the new plan. There are 231 active mining claims in the Manti LaSalle National Forest. The nearby network of uranium mines that make up the LaSalle complex in San Juan County are not located within the National Forest. You can find a link to the public comment form in today's show notes. A new study has found inequities in the delivery of federal benefits for indigenous coal miners in the western U.S. who are suffering from black lung disease. As Chris Clements of KSJD reports, the study is shining a light on an under-researched subject. The study, conducted by National Jewish Health Respiratory Hospital, says indigenous miners in states like Arizona who have black lung are less likely to receive federal benefits using current standards for lung function, as opposed to standards specifically geared towards indigenous people. It also provides evidence that indigenous miners experience more rapid lung decline as they age than non-indigenous miners. Cecile Rose is a pulmonologist with National Jewish Health in Denver and an author of the study. It's vital that that community get some particular attention because there is very little information on indigenous workers in general and coal miners in particular. According to Rose, much of the data for the study was compiled during screenings conducted over 16 years near the Navajo Nation. For KSJD, I'm Chris Clements. And that's the KZMU News for Thursday, November 9th. Get your community-powered journalism weekdays on the airwaves at noon and 6 p.m. You can also find KZMU News anytime online at kzmu.org or wherever you listen to podcasts.